right. Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't next week the time change? Oh, my goodness. You just get used to something, you know? Um, so your phones will do that for you. Just make sure your alarm's set to the right time. That's nice, isn't it? <clears throat> well, good. Well, we are going to be closing out this series today, uh, our time, with this message, Our Times in His Hand, and talking about the, the mastery of God over all of time and and, that, and, it, and as it comes down to like our lives, the mastery of God over our time. And um, I think it's going to be very encouraging and challenging. I really want it to be. That's been my prayer. So let's go to the Lord together and <clears throat> see what, uh, let's just ask him for great things today. Lord, we thank you for a new day. Thank you for, that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for the way the priests came out and put fresh bread every morning out in the, uh, the bread of the presence, Lord. And we um, have just a sense of that in our spirits each day, the freshness of the presence of God. That yesterday is behind, it's written in the books, and today is new. And I want to thank you, Lord, for working all these things, for calling us, Lord, into your plan and into your purpose, for calling us by name. Thank you, God, for that your hand is at work in all the earth that your hand is at work in our lives, and that your hand works in things we cannot see and couldn't comprehend if we could see, and that you are a God who is worthy of worship, Lord, and you inspire us to awe, that you stir our hearts, Lord. When we see you as you are, you stir our hearts. And God, I pray that we would be a people of worship and praise in this church, and God, that we would be a people who take our place, who accept what, you, what you've handed to us, Lord, this glorious call and this gift of life and new life in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk in these things, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by your grace. So I commit this word to you today and pray that you would use it to bring honor to your own name in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Many of you know that I, I meet with a group of pastors here in town twice a month and just uh, all the time, I'm amazed at what a quality of ministers God has put in this area. I mean, because I hear some of them talk about, well, I used to live even in another part of Georgia, not that far away from us. And they say, but that meeting down there, it wasn't anything like this meeting. You know what I mean? They, they're like, the, 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 we had, it was such a business meeting, you know? And our meeting is anything but a business meeting. It's very real, it's accountability, it's prayer for one another, and, and everybody's very just, here it is, put it on the table, living our lives openly uh, before each other and before the Lord, receiving words of encouragement, correction, and counsel, and you know, just carrying each other's burdens. It's, it's, one, it's one of the healthiest things I've ever seen in terms of that kind of ministerial accountability. But in that group, we get to hear from one another different things. Um, that guys are seeing. And one of the pastors in the meeting this week told such an incredible story. I wanted to share it with you because it goes along with what we're, what we're talking about today. He, told, he said that a friend of his contacted him just crying, another pastor. And he's FaceTiming with, with this guy. And the guy flips his phone around onto the table so he can see what he sees. And it's a, it's a check laying on the table for $100,000. And these guys crying. He's just like, you don't know, you know, what's going on. Like, this is the greatest gift, the biggest gift we've ever received as a ministry. But I have to tell you the story behind this. 
So this is what happened. He said many years ago, he was in a certain part of town here in Georgia, and that, that they, they were just carrying on their ministry, kind of a younger church getting going, and they were having you know, some success, beginning to grow, these kind of things. And then they find out that, one, that a very large ministry in town that plants different satellites is going to plant like 500 yards from their building. <laughs> and so he said all his flesh just rose up, fears, we're going to lose our people. You know, they do a better job at ministry than we do, and everybody's going to see it. You know, he's, he's going through all of his fears, just running through all this stuff. And God spoke to him while he was putting all these things before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to give to their ministry. And he goes, oh, you know, you can't be serious. <laughs> so they wrote a check for whatever amount they could afford, you know. And, and he said with it, he wrote a letter. And he said, I'm sending, we're sending you this check. We're a local ministry. We're just down the street from you guys. We believe in the larger kingdom, not building our own kingdoms. So we're giving this gift to you. He said, I wrote that letter, and every word of it was a lie. <laughs> he said just for where he was at. He said he just wrote it because he knew it was, it was truth, but he, his heart was not there. You know what I mean? And so, but he did it. Well, then he started, he found out more. He had known something of this other ministry that was moved in down the street, and he had a great respect for the pastor over there, for the, the main, the leader of the overall ministry. And he said, I wonder if that guy would be willing to get together with me for lunch. He just wanted to get to know him. So they're going to minister on the same street. So he starts reaching out, reaching out. And they connected, but they never could get their schedules to align. And eventually, as this goes, it just kind of dissipated. They never got together. But it never left his mind. Like, I want to get to know this guy. I want to get to know him. And he said it was fully seven years later. He's sitting on an airplane, and he looks over, and across the aisle, there's this pastor. And so he, and so he said it took him, he's, you know how it is when these people are like big names and all this, she gets these things of your heart, like he's a celebrity, I can't talk to him. And so he said it took the whole flight for him to get his courage up, but then they get him off the plane, and he turns, and he says, hey, Pastor so-and-so, I want to introduce myself. I'm this guy, and, I, and I'm a minister on this street right by one of your campuses. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And he said... I don't know if you'd remember this. He said, but like seven years ago, I sent you guys a check. And I just felt like God was telling me to invest in another ministry. Well, what had happened was, and he found out about this, what had happened was that pastor got that letter and was so touched by it, <laughs> the letter he didn't mean, you know, was so touched by it that he read it to his congregation. He said, look, even a church down the street has written me this letter. He said, how, how powerful is this? When the pastor in this airplane conversation says, yeah, I do remember that. He said, I read part of that to my congregation. He goes, yeah, I, I know. I got videos from people. And so he said, could we get together for lunch? And he said, yeah, let's do lunch. So, they, so two or three days went by. I didn't hear anything. So um, he reaches out, and they set it up. And then so they go to lunch together, and they sit down to lunch at the table. And they're talking and just kind of getting to know each other and all this. And this pastor of the larger church slides this envelope across the table to him. It says, the Lord put it in my heart to give this to you. And he opens it, and it's $100,000. And he said, let me tell you, and they're both weeping at this point. <laughs> you know, he said, he, said, he said, the Lord, we received in our ministry a gift for a million dollars. He said, and that gift was given to us to give to other ministries that were coming up that were doing the work of God in the community. 
And after you and I talked on the airplane, I just, the, it just dropped into my heart, give him back a hundredfold. So I called my secretary and said, how much did they give? You know, he just see if they can do it. You know, how much did they give way back? And she looks it up and it was $1,000. And so he returns a hundredfold to this guy seven years later. Pretty good return on investment, right? But, he, but you never could have seen that coming. And, in, and hearing that, he's, because the pastor who shared that at our meeting, he said, I'm going to share a, guy's, a story with you guys. It's going to build your faith. And he shared it. And I was like, thank you for sharing that. That does build my faith. Because they're praying for us. I asked him, I said, pray for us. We need to know what to do about a building. We've just done this renovation, but we don't know. We're two years out to the end of our lease. We need to know what does God want us to do. Would you pray for us to have, to have wisdom as a church to know what to do? And they were listening to me talk, and they were like, sounds like you really want your own building. And I said, want, need, you know, where do you draw these lines? You know what I mean? Yes, okay, there's, here's the truth, yes. It would be great if we could, but I don't know. I don't know what God wants for us, you know? So they're praying for us, and we're walking out of there, and he says, nothing's impossible with God. If, you, if there's a building for you guys, if that's what the Lord wants. And that's just one little, one little interaction there. But hearing that story, I was listening to it and thinking like, only God, only God, you know what I mean? The working of all things and everything at its time, because this pastor who got the $100,000, they were in a place where they were stepping out in faith and buying a building themselves, and they didn't know where all the finances were going to come from yet. And that 100000 that $1,000 that God turned into 100000 in his time and in his way met an immediate pressing need. And so you hear these, this is just, this, and this is right here, local community stuff, and, which is just a good reminder because so often you hear a testimony and it's like, oh yeah, wasn't that George Mueller way over there in another country? You know what I mean? It's like, no, not just George Mueller, but local pastors and local people you know, friends of yours. Why? Because God's no respecter of persons. And what is God doing? He's working all things all the time for the good of who? Those who love him and are called according to his purpose, irrespective of titles or any other thing. That's just simply who God is. And so what I want us to look at today is this powerful reality that God is working everything all the time and only he could do it. Only he could be trusted to do it, but we can trust him to do it. And so let's look together at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, He has made everything, and this I feel is a failure of the NASB translation there, I'll admit it. It puts the word appropriate in there, and just about every other translation translates it beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You know what beautiful in its time means? A hundred thousand dollar check when you're praying about a building and you didn't see it coming, and you see that it's God rewarding some simple act of obedience from way back. That's beautiful in its time. Beautiful in its time means, you know, and I've been saying this through the message, this series, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. When you wait for the Lord and everything happens in his way and in his time, it's beautiful in its time. It's perfect. And it says, he has also said eternity in their heart, that's in our hearts, humanity. 
so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. And that's a little clunky, but what it's basically saying is that he puts eternity in our hearts so that we have this sense of this greater plan. We have a sense, people do, even people who claim that they don't, I think you find if you ask the right questions that most people truly do, or else they're trying to choke out any real sense of eternity. People who say they don't believe in an afterlife, or you know, they're trying not to accept what God has written in their hearts. But the essence of that second part of the verse, so that man will not find out, is basically saying, yet we cannot understand. Even though we search it out, we can't understand how in the world could God really be working everything all the time. There's this mystery that's built into it. And I told you one story of how in a couple of people's lives, and it was more complex than that, this whole thing panned out for good for one person. But think about God working that in everyone's lives all the time. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So we, can't, so it's, we search it out, but we can't understand it, even though there's a sense of eternity in our hearts. In verse 12, he says, I know there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. If you're going to have a focus, he's saying focus there. Rejoice, do good in your lifetime. And 13, moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. So we've been talking about tensions, and this is one of those tensions. God works everything. He works it perfectly, and it's beautiful in its time. He's put eternity in our hearts, this sense of this endless, vast plan and things that are working out that only God could be behind and only God could do. And then he says, but what I've seen under the sun is that if we put one foot in front of the other and do what's right, then we will have a reward with God. Write the $1,000 check, and God will make it beautiful in its time. So it's the, it's the coming together of obedience and the divine plan. And that's what we want to really explore today. In Isaiah 46, 9, God says this of himself, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. So don't forget history. You can learn so much about history, and especially the history of what God has done. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning. He knows when he'll make it beautiful. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And we could go on. There's verses and passages and sections of Scripture that talk about this, where God is just bringing, and a lot of times it's God telling the people who he is and what he's like and what he's going to do. And he says, I'm watching over everything. You know, the Scripture says, I am, God said, I am watching over my word to perform it, to make sure that it's carried out. So let me start with this. God reigns over time generally. All time is in his hands. He lives outside of it, and he sees the end from the beginning. He reigns over time generally. Everything is in his hands. So that's the big picture. That's grand scheme. This is eternity in our hearts. But I want to show you something also, how it funnels down into your and my everyday life. And this is it, Psalm 31, verse 15. David writes, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. In other words, 
My whole life's in your hand and the outcomes are beyond my control. And by the way, I've got enemies who'd like to kill me. And if you could step in, it'd be really great. You know, that's, it's kind of one of those prayers in the Psalms. In Psalm 139, verse 6, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when yet there was not one of them. Unformed substance, that's when, that's when, that's, that's when the child in the mother's womb is, is just beginning to form. And God already knew all the days. They were written in his book, it says, before one of them came about. Our times are in his hands. So God also reigns over time personally. He is actively involved in the outworking of the events of our lives at specific times. Knowing that our Father is the Lord over time and our times, what we do is we ask Him to reveal to us what our lives are for. And this is our engagement with God. You know, we engage with Him and we say, What? You've, so you've put me here. And, and you put me in this time, and I was born in this generation, you know, and, I, and there's nothing I can do about it. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever had that, never said that before, I was born in the wrong generation. Has anybody ever had that thought, I was born in the wrong century, you know, or, you know, anyway, I'll tell you a story about that, maybe if there's time. But I, but I uh, yeah, I have had those thoughts at different times. But we press into God and we say, but here I am, and I've evidently time travel hadn't yet been accomplished, and if it did, and if it was, but if it was, you know what I mean? Would you say, God, you put me in the wrong generation, so I'm going where I think I fit? There is a, there is a, one of the greatest things about the sovereignty of God is that it forces man to come to a place of, of humility and humble himself before God, and to say, this is my time. You put me here. I am powerless to change it. So, But then we need to shift gears, right? Because you don't need to sit there because there are people who get frustrated about things that they can't change. And I'm one of them, right? We all are. Different point. If there's something I can't change and I want to change it, I get frustrated. So we shift gears. We submit our hearts to God and we say, but you're greater than me. Your knowledge is greater. Your understanding is perfect. So why am I here right now? Reveal your will. And that's the beginning of a fruitful life in God. And so the prayer, Psalm 39, 4, Lord, make me to know my end. Help me to see the end from the beginning, so to speak. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. God, help me to get a sense that my life is just a breath. You know what I mean? Like, you know, self-obsession is like a trend within the culture, right? But it's, but it's a quality that human, that human nature, it appeals to human nature. It's present in every culture. Ours takes its own form, but... People who don't have all the possessions and other things that we have have their own forms of self-obsession. So God shows man that he's transient. He reveals to us that our life is just a breath. You know what I mean? And, and, and the longer you live on the earth, the faster time goes. You know what I mean? You get to it. I, I remember being a young guy and thinking like a 15 years old or something. It's like, man, it feels like it's taken my whole life to get 15. But it seems like it took forever. And then it's like 15 to 20 seems to have gone by a little faster. And then 20 to 30 was pretty quick. And then 30 to 40 was like a snap of your fingers almost. 
and I haven't lived out the future blocks, but I've heard from people. And they say, it doesn't slow down, it just goes faster. So the prayer is, help me to see how transient I am. I'm evidently passing from the earth at, you know, at a rate that I'd like to slow down if I could. You know? But while I'm here, because, because I'm not going to have more time, time seems to go faster as the days go on. So what should I do with the life that you've given me while I'm here and while I'm present in this time? In Psalm 90, verse 12, David prayed this. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you, what? A heart of wisdom. I want to present to God a heart of wisdom. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to live like I've got forever. I'm going to live like I'm transient. Or it wasn't, what's the country song? Live like you were dying, right? But you don't necessarily want to go skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing. Well, Rocky Mountain climbing is good. But 2.7 seconds on a bull. Never mind. Okay. But teach us to number our days because we want to, we want to look at our days and say, how can I measure out? Since you've measured out a certain number of days to me, how can I measure back my time to you? How can I say, if, I, if, I'm, going to, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live fruitfully. I'm going to live in a way that acknowledges that you're the master over everything. So we could say something like this. God in his sovereignty has ordained that we, his people, through prayer, wisdom, and obedience, that we bring the will of God, or at least we participate in bringing the will of God to pass in the earth. And we do all that in our time. It was, and what I mean is the time he's put us in, the block of time that we have to live, is a time for us to engage with God and to bring his will in the earth to whatever degree that we can. So I want to show you something from Acts chapter 17 because this passage is powerful. Paul was in Athens and he was preaching. He, got, he was walking around, he was looking at all their idols and he, and he was just, in his spirit, he said, was provoked within him. So he couldn't stand it anymore. It's <laughs> kind of what it came down to. And he, and he came across an idol that you feel like this was the one that finally pushed him because he was at this place called the Areopagus. And in the Areopagus, it said everybody came together to compare new ideas, to, to hear some new thing. They just show up and somebody says, well, here's what I've been thinking about or this is what I think. And people are just listening to ideas, an exchange of ideas, you know. And so he sees an idol and this idol, it says, to an unknown God. And so the idea behind that idol was, in case we missed one, we've got idols that acknowledge everything else, but so we're going to have one that's called to an unknown God, just in case we missed one. We don't want anybody to be left out. And Paul saw that, and the Lord just provoked him in his spirit and said, now you get up there and share a new idea. And so he got up in front of these people, and he said, I was walking among you guys, and I saw your idol to an unknown God. Well, what you worship as unknown, I declare to you. And then he says this, Verse 24, Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. All these idols you've built and the temples you've made, the God who made everything doesn't live in those. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man Every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. You see how he's making them see the big picture. He's making them look at a God who is not the God of the sun or the God of the moon or the God of the earth or the God of this or the crops or whatever. He's the God that made 
everything because they, hadn't, they didn't have anything out there that honored the true God. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined, listen to this, their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation so that, or that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. The word grope is the idea of in darkness, walking like feeling your way down a wall in the darkness. You can't see anything. So you're just trying to sort of find your way along. That's the picture that he's painting here. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist or have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So God, so God has appointed to man, the God who made everything, the times that we should live and the boundaries of our habitation. Did you know that God has drawn lines around your life? You know, when he made the sea, the picture that God gave, I think this was in Job, he said, and I, who is the one who drew the line and said to the seas on the shore, you can go this far and no farther? You ever watch how that, you stand right there. Think about how, what, a, what an incredible thing it is to stand at the edge of where the water comes up and touches. You're standing on the line that God drew. When this vast ocean of immense, you know, millions of cubic gallons or billions or however much it is of, of water and the tides and everything that controls the tides and moves them. And here you are standing there on this sand, which is uncountable, the, the grains of it. And the water just touches your toes and then it goes back. God has drawn lines around our lives in that way. Where the lines of your life will come right up to, your, your life will press right to these lines and it can go no further. And the days of our lives are that way. But he says also, the boundaries of your habitation. We should spend some time thinking about that, you know what I mean? It's like, well, we're buying a house. It's like, where are you buying a house? Well, anywhere we can afford one. Well, first of all, you better pray about that. <laughs> because your budget should not determine where you live. But you need to really ask God, what are the boundaries of my habitation? Where do you have me? What's the next place for me? You know, do you have a will? You know, and when we were buying a house, doors kept slamming in our face. Houses we really wanted. You know what I mean? It was like if it was some issue, some problem would come up. And we'd say, well, it can't be this one. We've got to pick something else. And we'd go through that whole grieving process. You know, and you go find something else. But when God finally planted us, there were things we could see immediately that had his hand on them. And there were many things that we have seen now that we've been in the same house for like eight years that we, we say, God put us here. And it is so clear now. But he drew the lines. We wanted to draw the lines so bad, you know, but he drew the lines for us. And everything since then even, you know, I don't know if you know this, but half the church now lives within five minutes of our house. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, not literally, but there's just a bunch of people. You know, we have great neighbors, people all around. And we're just going, we don't have a neighborhood, but we have a neighborhood. And God did that. And so you look at all, this thing, all these things and you just go, man, God really does draw the lines. And it's incredible to see because he's working something in all of it. So I want to give you a couple of cautions before we move forward here. Just some things to avoid because we got to watch the extremes because there's attitudes and all these things that can creep in and kind of pull us away from center on this. And I, I tried to narrow it, but I've got three. So three extremes to avoid. One of them is this, time is a prison. And this is more about the attitude than anything else. 
Time is a prison. Everything is preordained. I'm stuck here. It's your attitude. That's primarily what I'm talking about here. Having the attitude of, here I am, just stuck in this life and in this place. And there's nothing I can do. Because if I turn left, God wanted me to go left. And if I turn right, he wanted me to go right. And if I go up, he wanted me to go up. You know, it, it, you know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever met somebody who has gotten into that place where they got way too much into their head about these kind of things. And it's like, there, there may be some truth to what you're saying and all of that, that God is working. I mean, yeah, we know he is working everything. But he, you, you have a part to play in this process. And that's been kind of the whole essence of this series and what we've been talking about. You don't want to get to that place where you, where you, take, where you give God, I guess, I don't know how to say it, how, where you would apportion to God more than he apportions to himself. Where God is saying, no, I'm calling you to, to engage in this. And you're like, well, I'm not going to engage because everybody's just going to do whatever you want to do. And they, you don't want to ever get in that place. So that's the first thing. You want to definitely avoid that. And if you find that in your heart, kick it out. Next one is time is meaningless. Live however you want because nobody's watching. This would be an atheistic, maybe atheistic view, but just an attitude of like, it doesn't really matter. You just kind of do this or you do that or whatever. And there are people who this is the way that they live every day of their life. If you want to think about Jesus' brothers, they came to Jesus and they said, they were mocking him. He said, I'm not going up to the feast. You guys going up, I'll come up later. Or he just said, I'm not coming. And they said, whoa, hold on. I thought you were the superstar preacher now. They're giving this real sarcastic talk. And they're, and they're saying, if people who, people who want to be known all over the place, they don't hide. They go show their deeds. Why don't you go show your deeds to all the world? And it says, for even his brothers were not believing in him. And Jesus made the most interesting statement. He said, my time has not yet come. For you, any time is opportune. He basically said, you have no sense whatsoever of a greater plan. For so for you, do whatever you want, whenever you want. Because it's not a cooperation with a divine will. It's just your will. That's all there is. He said, but for me, I am working out the plan of my father, step by step, piece by piece. So I'll go when it's time, not when you put pressure on me. And it's really remarkable. I mean, that's an, that's an astute observation, isn't it? But there are people who live that way as though time was just opportune anytime. Whenever, that's fine. But the timing of things is very important. And as much as we can get on God's page about the timing of things, the more things will flourish around us, and especially bearing spiritual fruit. The last extreme I'd caution you about is time is a free-for-all. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And there, there's an attitude out there, you know, and maybe it's in our hearts to a degree, but the idea that, there, you know, the end is coming, we're all going to die. So, it's some, so, you know what we should do? We should have just a whole lot of fun while we live. And people cast off restraint. They cast off the good they know they should do. They cast off all kinds of things and kind of just live with this. It's a free-for-all. Whatever you want to do. So we have to be careful not to let those things creep into our hearts and get into a place um, based on the idea that God is, that, there, that thing, certain things seem to be predetermined, that... Um, that our hearts become cynical and hard toward God. So this is the attitude I believe is biblical. Time is not a free-for-all. 
Time is not meaningless, nor is it a prison sentence to serve out, but our time is our assignment. So this is, for some people, a shift to think about the time I live in is limited. I'm placed here under God's directive for a purpose. So this is my assignment, to live for the will of God while I live. Not only that, and I mentioned this earlier, but the boundaries of our habitations, that means God ordains where you live and when you live there. And so that's a kind of a mind-boggler at times to think about. But it's worth considering. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And if you think about that in the context of time, that God put you here and he's got a plan for you, but then God, it says, there were also works that he appointed for you to do beforehand that you would walk in those things. So when you, but now let me show you how this, this, how this merges with the expression of your faith. You're just kind of walking along and you feel what we call a prompting from the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment? Is saying, this is saying, this is one of those. This is one of these that God prepared beforehand, before what? before the foundation of the earth. So God really, really delights in obedience. He really, really, really doesn't like disobedience (laughs) because he wrote these things down before the foundation of the earth that we would walk in them. So when we obey, it's the eternal and the temporal merge in that moment and there is a manifestation of divine power. Because God wrote it, now you're acting on it, and you become the vessel. You were already chosen for this purpose. Now you act on it, and you do the thing that God called you to do, and suddenly, there's an invisible explosion in the Spirit, a release of divine power. Because God's kingdom just came in that moment. His kingdom just connected in the earth because you obeyed with the very thing that God made you to do. And what if we saw every act of obedience this way? And what if we had that caution in our heart about every act of disobedience? We're tempted, our own fears, we get pulled away. What if it's not God? We question everything. What if you took a chance on it? Because what would be, what's the better option? Well, I wasn't sure it was God, so I didn't do anything. Or if if I even think it might be God, I'm going to act on it just in case. (laughs) And I'm going to say, maybe my discernment is limited. And you may find out in the moment that you were right, or you may find out in the moment that you were wrong, or you might act on it, and it was God, and you don't get to bear the fruit right there in that moment. You just get to plant a seed. That's, that's your role. That's your point. That's your part of it. And you won't find out till heaven that that conversation or whatever it was God asked you to do, that act of kindness, the word that you spoke, the thing that you did, whatever it was, you won't find out till heaven what, how God took that seed and grew it into something. And when you get to heaven, you'll rejoice. You'll give all the glory to Jesus. And I think there'll be something of that, you know, an element of that in eternity. But what if we saw our lives like this? I think it would change the way that we live for the better. So the challenge is accept the assignment. Live in your time and work the works that he prepared in advance for you to do. I want you to hear this story. This is totally crazy. Crazy God crazy. Good crazy. The, this guy, is, he shares a story from a man uh, named Tony Campolo. I don't know who that guy is. But <clears throat> he's sharing a story about something that happened at a prayer meeting 
that, that led into a, a, an interesting set of interactions where it was just God putting his ability to work all things at the right time on display. So listen to this. It says, one of my favorite stories about intercessory prayer comes from Tony Campolo. A prayer meeting was held for him just before he spoke at a Pentecostal college chapel service. Eight men took Tony to the back of the room, had him kneel, laid their hands on his head and began to pray. That's a good thing. Tony wrote, except that they prayed a long time. And the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on his head. (laughs) I want to tell you that when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good, he said. To make matters worse, one of the men was not even praying for Tony. He went on and started praying for somebody named Charlie Stoltzfus. (laughs) Dear Lord, You know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer just down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Tony said he wanted to inform the prayer that it was not necessary to furnish God with directional material. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. Tony writes that he finally got the Pentecostal preachers off his head, delivered his message, and got into his car to drive home. As he drove onto the Pennsylvania turnpike, he noticed a hitchhiker. I'll let him tell it from there. These are his words. We drove a few minutes, and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? And he said, My name's Charlie Stoltzfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that, and after a few minutes, he said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? And I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and said, Why? I said, Because you left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right, with shock written all over his face. He plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. (laughs) Then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, How did you know I lived here? I said, God told me, and I believe God did tell me. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, You're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk, and you two are going to (laughs) listen. And man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. It's like mind-boggling. He's sitting here going, I wish this guy would stop praying about this Tony Campolo guy and bless me. (laughs) You know what I mean? But Or not Campolo, but to pray for this Charlie Stoltzfus. But look, you know, God had something. But, but I want you to see all the pieces that came together here. What happened? He, he, so he was, he was listening while these guys were praying, and all this is happening, right? Well, then he does what he thought he came there to do, and he leaves. And you know, after you're tired, after preaching a message, whatever, all this, the last thing you want to do is stop for a hitchhiker. But what did he do? He listened to the prompting of the Spirit, and he picked up the hitchhiker. And then God just took over from there. Everything came together as soon as he obeyed. And you see how, imagine you drive on by, and you say, and you can come home, and you get this weird story. Man, the guys that were praying for me were praying this weird stuff. It didn't even make sense. The meeting was okay, but not great. On the way home, there was a hitchhiker out there. There's never a hitchhiker, but whatever. And none of it means anything. But you obey God, and heaven meets earth in ways that only God could ordain. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship the God who works all things.
obedience. I want to say this to you. Obedience is the thread that binds our lives into the tapestry of time and eternity. So take your place in the master plan. And I'd especially charge you today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Lord, we thank you for your power and for your strength. Thank you for your ability to do things in ways that just blow our minds. And I would ask, Lord, in this moment, that you would set us each up with divine appointments for this week, that you would put them on our calendar, that you would fill our schedules with things, Lord, these works, these good deeds that you've ordained from before the foundation of the earth. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the the intimate and perfect knowledge that you have of the inner workings of our hearts and our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would lay our wills down on the altar now because we have to acknowledge that so much of the time, Lord, we resist your will, that we hear your voice and we push back and we resist and we have I know things that we argue with you about. But you're wanting us, Lord, to like little children just to say, yes, Father. Yes, Father, if that's what you're saying, I'll do that. And I pray for that simplicity of faith, the heart of a child to be formed in us, each one. Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're at a place where you've grown just very weary in the practice of your your faith and um, just feel like you haven't seen the eternal God or seen his work on display, I want to just encourage you to come to the altar and pray, to pray right where you are, lift up your hands to God. If you need prayer, ask for prayer. We're happy to pray with you. But uh, it's a good thing for us to do, to, to renew the sacrifice, the Romans 12, that we lay our lives down, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our pleasing service of worship to God. We sing songs and that glorifies God, but the first act of worship is the laying down of our own wills and the acceptance of his. So let's do that here this morning. Let's enter into a transaction with God where we offer up our wills in a fresh way. doesn't mean you've never done it before, but if it is the first time, glory to God. But just because you've done it before doesn't mean that your consecration is, is current, so to speak. So I would say, if you know your consecration has gotten stale or maybe even you've pulled it back, I want to challenge you to offer afresh your heart and your will to God so that he can use you in the earth in the days that you have.